Welcome to the Swike Podcast, the only podcast that shares the stuff you didn't know you needed to know about jobs, careers, and life. The Swike Podcast, the stuff I wish I knew earlier. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Swike Stuff I Wish I Knew Earlier, the podcast. And we're here with a guest mentor, Angela Chung, who's going to share her journey in becoming a speech language pathologist. So that's definitely not one of those things that people think of in terms of like a doctor, lawyer, accountant, engineer, but it's one that uh, it, it's very important in terms of uh, helping folks uh, in terms of confidence and things like that. And we got connected and we'd love to uh, walk through starting a little bit about what you're doing now. Uh, and then we'll get into what you were like as a kid and kind of go through the journey uh, to get to where you are now. So uh, why don't you start off with uh, what, what you're up to now, Angela? So right now, um, I have my own business that I started with my partner, Michael, called Speak Fluent. And what our target audience is basically working professionals who want to improve their communication, um, but they don't really know what services are available. A lot of working professionals, they feel like they're kind of stuck with the, the way they're speaking right now. So what we provide are like accent modification services because we want people to know that it is possible to modify your accent after a certain age and also know that there are different ways you can improve your communication as well Um, you know using your intonation in a different way if you think about how uh, people during TED Talks talk they talk in a very specific dynamic and engaging way and we want to be able to share this information and train working professionals to be able to talk and engage people in this way so um, that's our primary focus with Speak Fluent Um, but speech language pathologists can work with a variety of people from all age groups so um, Children are, I guess, the most common population that speech-language pathologists work with. Uh, I'm going to abbreviate speech-language pathologists to SLP from now on just because it's easier to say. So um, I actually also work um, kind of in the schools. So I work as a contractor in the schools, and basically I go in and I assess and I treat uh, children who have speech-sound disorders. So if you ever think if you think of a child who has difficulty saying R, which is the most common, that's mm-hmm. basically what a speech sound disorder is, if like it's typical for their age group. So there are a lot of considerations that we have to have. Um, and I also work with stuttering and voice disorders. So there's just a lot of things that go into our communication, the sounds that we make, how we structure our sentences, how we use our voice in a dynamic, engaging way. If we sound hoarse like this, then... It's just, it's just a lot to work with, and I work with all of that. Um, so that's, that's basically what I'm doing now, and I'm trying to put more of my focus on Speak Fluent because I feel like this is an area that people haven't really explored, mm-hmm. and there are so many working professionals, and if you're not working, if you're a student um, or if you're just looking for a job, this is a fantastic service that a lot of people don't know about. You can improve your communication to prepare yourself for interviews. You can prepare your communication so you can um, like speak with people from different parts of the world in a way that they can understand. Not everyone is privileged to work, I mean, to to live in a such diverse community like we do, in, like I do in Toronto. Okay. Um, so there are people who aren't as used to different accents. Um, and for those people, it'll be more difficult for them to, to understand different accents. And yeah, everyone just has a different experience um, and everyone um, has different, I guess, perceptions of, of accent and a different ability to understand different accents. And I just want to make sure that this service is available to a lot of different people. 
That's amazing. It's a, definitely an important one to have and, and hopefully there's going to be lots of success because I think there's a lot of people that need it. But if we can take a step back and, and kind of uh, talk about yourself as a, as a kid, right? Growing up, because uh, speech language pathology is probably not on the top of anybody's radar and then figuring out how you, you find that and, and it sounds like that, that you actually enjoy and you, you, you kind of love what you're doing. So how does that happen? So um, were, were, you, were you born in the area? Where did you grow up? And um, maybe some of the influences in your life as well. Mm-hmm. So I've had a lot of different, mostly my family influenced my decision to go into SLP. Um, I actually was born in Taiwan and I moved to BC, BC, Canada um, when I was five. Mm-hmm. And so my, my siblings, my younger brother and my older sister came here. Um, um, so my brother was like younger when he got here and my sister was a bit older. So that kind of influences how you um, adopt an accent as well. And middle, middle child then? I'm the middle child, okay, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Me, so yeah. <laughs> yeah. So what I found is that my accent isn't as um, strong, doesn't have as strong of a Chinese influence mm-hmm. as my sister's does. Um, and then my parents, of course, they have a like strong Mandarin accent. Mm-hmm. Um, and like accent wasn't the only thing that influenced me when I, as I grew up, my brother actually saw an SLP when he, um, as he was growing up. And my mom would sometimes tell me, oh, like help your brother practice. Um, and I don't really, really remember too much of this, but I remember um, teaching him how to make the R sound, for example. And like, I, I enjoy teaching and I felt good about being able to teach my brother these sounds and like being good at English, I guess, as an immigrant. And I would like skip ESL levels to, <laughs> so my mom really um, made me aware that I was good with like language, with English, with speaking. Um, and I, I was just aware of this growing up. Um, but I didn't really hear or about SLP until I was much older. I kind of forgot about the whole thing with my brother until um, I asked my mom about it later on. Right. So with with Asian parents, I did get a lot of, hey, why don't you be a lawyer? Why don't you be a doctor? <laughs> yeah. Why don't you be uh my, my dad's like, why don't you be a judge? Yeah. Why don't you okay. be a pharmacist? Right. <laughs> I'm like, I don't really want to be any of those things. Now at that time when I was grade 12, I was thinking about going into teaching because I enjoyed teaching people. I liked that uh, mentoring piece and I really value education so I was talking to my mom about it and she said teaching is not a great career right now if you look at how many teachers are going on strike in BC right now it's just not like the best future possibly Um, and she had a friend who was whose daughter was an SLP as well so she suggested it to me so what I did was I just looked into it and I found it really really interesting and then from that point on I started really reflecting on how communication skills make such a big impact on my life now um, I hope my brother doesn't mind me mentioning this but he he did see an SLP and it wasn't just for his sounds it was also for like how he developed language he didn't talk until he was much older Um, and when we first moved to Canada he he, he, I think my mom was really struggling being in Canada by herself for a little while and she was trying to take care of three children so um, she didn't get to spend a lot of time with the kids and um, what SLPs need to do Uh, to train families is that you need to spend a lot of time talking to your kids to build up that language. Now, my brother didn't get a lot of that. He was very young when he moved. He was, I was five. So he was one 
which is like prime, like you're right. supposed to get your first word. You're supposed yeah. to start getting a lot of words around that age. And he didn't get, he didn't get that. So what I found is that his language is just a little bit like weaker, like his language skills are a bit weaker than the rest of us. And I feel like that really impact, impacted his um, kind of how he was portrayed to like other people. So my family, and it's really sad to say my parents, um, a lot of people tie like your communication skills to like how smart you are. Right. So my parents kind of saw his his weak language skills as reflective of his intelligence. Mm. So and then they treated him in that way. So in in my family, um, a lot of the time we would like make jokes about him being dumb, which is terrible. Oh. Which is terrible. Um, and sometimes I would be like. Okay, but he's not actually dumb. You guys know that, right? Because he he was definitely like he read a lot. He was his vocabulary was great. Actually, he he got um, really good vocabulary. He was he had great spelling skills. But just the speaking part, that oral right. communication part, he was a bit weaker and a bit more awkward. So that really affected how people treated him, especially within my family, which is the worst thing to say, but it definitely um, was worse in my family, and. So when I decided to go into SLP and kind of wrote my, like, why did I go into SLP? I truly feel communication is so important because humanity is all about building social relationships, right? Right. Everything, like you have to be, humans are social beings and communication is a core part of how to build social relationships. And I feel like if you don't have good communication, then it can affect how people see you and it, it can affect your, your relationships as well. So I just felt like it was so important. That's why I wanted to get into it. So SLP is really something that I hold dear in my heart. Yeah, that's amazing. My, my experience, well, I have very limited experience with SLP, but my nephew was kind of similar to your brother where um, because my my uh, sister taught him sign language a, a, as a kid, right? So like like more, uh, you put your hands together and stuff like that, uh, but he reverted to that. And, and instead of learning to speak, he was using a sign language. So similar to your brother, he was speaking later, not because he was dumb or couldn't communicate or whatever. It's just like, well, if I can communicate a different way, why should I learn how to talk? So it's slightly different uh, reason, but uh, yeah. And then it helped him progress and and grow and, and, and learn. So, and totally echo the sentiment about communication being so important, but uh, some of it is speech and some of it is, is other ways. So folks have to learn to communicate uh, together. So exactly. I'd love to kind of uh, work back to kind of uh, growing up. So um, were you uh, like a confident kid, like an outgoing kid? Like, and what are some of the, the, the characteristics that uh, can, can help you point out that, hey, uh, SLP is something that you want to consider. So you mentioned things like uh, you, you spoke well and stuff like that. And to me, like speaking well, it's generally you're, you're more confident and outgoing, which is kind of why I asked the question. I was actually like, not there... confident at, a, okay. at all as a kid. And I was not outgoing. And I'm still like a major introvert. <laughs> okay. Um, I was actually really, really shy as a kid. Um, but as an introvert, I was okay working one-on-one, which, sure. and I liked like building a relationship with people. And I guess that's why I thought I could like teaching. Um, but as a kid, I was not confident at all, actually. And part of the reason why I didn't want to become that pharmacist, doctor, lawyer was because I thought I couldn't do it. Um, even though my grades, my grades were good in school. I was a great student. 
Like if you think about the perfect obedient student that just does her homework, attends every class, every class, then that's that's me. Okay. Um, but I I had really poor self confidence. I didn't think that I could do anything. One of the reasons why I didn't learn any instrument was because I thought I couldn't do it. Okay. So like my my self esteem was pretty terrible as a kid. Um, and I didn't like talking to people whenever my parents tried to get me to like, you know, get them to get me to um, contact the the cell phone provider, service provider. Sure. I wouldn't want to do it whenever they wanted me to ask someone a question, like what time it is or like what the directions were. I wouldn't want to do it. I just didn't want to talk to anybody because I was just so shy and I, I had poor self-esteem. Um, but I think what changed for me was I, I worked a customer service job at KFC and my manager I actually failed the initial test to 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 work at KFC but he was like you know what like I'm sure you'll be great so he just like told me what the right answers were and um I I learned how to talk with people in that job he's like just smile just say hello and then I got really good at talking with people (laughs) in that job so a customer service job taught me how to be confident in my speaking skills and confident speaking with people and just building relationships. And that's kind of mind blowing for me to say that a KFC job has such a big (laughs) impact on me, but it really did. And now I'm not scared to talk with people. And that was the major change. Yeah, Props to KFC for that. (laughs) But so so if folks are in kind of a similar situation, because there's so many out there, myself included, that started as kind of that shy, introverted kid that didn't want to say as much. Um, Mm -hmm. And I have my own story of how I got out of my shell. But um, for for yourself, like, okay, talk us through kind of the first couple of days. So so your your manager just let you in. Okay, here's the right answers. You're starting like like day one. You'll be fine. Right. What, mm-hmm. What's running through your head and like, how do you get through it? Because the first day must have been horrible <laughs> or, or maybe it wasn't. I don't know uh, if you can um, even remember like what, what that first, was like. I don't really remember the first day as a cashier. Um, so I, I would work like front and back. Okay. Um, but the first day as a cashier, I would remember I didn't know how to smile. <laughs> okay. Okay. I didn't know how to smile. And then my manager would always tell me, Angela, remember to smile. Angela, just smile. And then he would tell me just say hello there to every single person that walked through the door so I would just force a smile and then say hello there to every single person and now I still do that like if you just say hello it just sounds a little bit awkward to me so hello there sounds awesome to me and I do it all the time still and that forcing a smile at first it feels awkward and forced because it is but then it becomes natural so like for me I think for everyone they should just it's it's very cliche but fake it till you make it right Right. I faked a smile till it became natural to me and then I just smiled every time I smile every time I see a person now and it's very natural for me now so but yeah it it did start off very very awkward though I didn't know how to smile I couldn't smile No, I, I think that's good advice. And, and what I tell uh, a lot of folks is that uh, whatever you're doing, um, whether you like it or not, you're building a habit, right? So, so you're building a habit to smile or you're building a habit not to smile, right? With, um, I, I often tell people I have a RBF, which is like a resting bitch face. Oh, <laughs> yeah, I have that. Yeah. And, and it took me a long time to uh, sit there. And, and uh, 
if I'm not really paying attention, like I'll, I'll look upset and angry at people. And then sometimes you'll see me go, and, and because I remember like, okay, I should probably be a little bit more upbeat. And then uh, to your point about that faking till you make it, uh, if you smile, if you feel a little bit more happy or whatever, uh, or you, you at least have the facial expression, then you, the feelings tend to uh, adopt itself and, and, and come naturally to that side too. So. Yeah. I definitely had that. I actually had one of my coworkers from KSE say to me that she didn't really like me at the beginning because I looked so mean. <laughs> definitely had that RBF. Right. So I encourage folks. So part of the, the guidance here is to just practice smiling, be by yourself, be with other people, uh, fake it to make it, whether it feels natural or not, and then it'll start feeling more natural and then it'll probably change uh, things. So, um, so it sounded like your journey is a little bit by kind of, kind of fluke and accident in the sense that if your, your mom's whatever, friend's daughter was in an SLP, then there could have been a whole bunch of other things. Were there other areas that you were exploring along the way? Like before you even found that, what was kind of the area that you wanted to get into versus what were the areas that mom and dad <laughs> wanted you to get into? Or um, did you have a sense? That was actually like a, I, well, I was in grade 12 when my mom suggested that to me. Yeah. And before that, I don't, I don't know if many people know what they want to do before like grade 12 but some people do and I was probably I was one of those people that didn't really have a sense like like I said I had low self-esteem so I thought that I couldn't do anything I I had my hobbies of course I enjoyed art um but I don't but again I didn't think that I would ever be good enough to become an artist or anything art related but I did think about these things like oh maybe I can be like a web designer graphic designer something like that um but these ideas I never entertained seriously. Um, so yeah, there wasn't really much. I just felt like I, I was pretty lost. So that's why I needed my mom's guidance. And yeah, good thing for parents. Yeah. So did you seek out her, her guidance? And like you said, uh, hey, I have to start filling in my, my application forms at some point and, and uh, I need some help uh, doing that. Or, or is it more like parents tend to uh, provide advice whether you want it or not. Exactly. That's <laughs> um, what I was going to say. Okay. So it, it really came from her. It wasn't really you. You would have just kind of done uh, whatever. Yeah. I mean, if she, if my parents didn't say anything, then I probably would have asked. But with many parents, you really don't have to ask to get to that point. So, sounds good. So um, we chalk up, I guess, KFC for, for you being able to communicate a little better. Um, and and that, that also uh, influences your, your self-esteem. I know a lot of folks uh, struggle with that too, where it's different, right? Uh, being able to communicate, being able to smile, being able to talk and uh, self-esteem. Uh, sometimes they're, they're, they're very related, but sometimes it's different. So did that also uh, lift up your, your self-esteem? Um, and uh, are there other things that along the way that you felt that, that you could do? Yeah, definitely. So I think the start of my self-esteem improving was at KFC in grade 12. Sure. And then over the course of my undergrad and my master's, I it was just kind of like uphill from there. Mm -hmm. um, I felt like being around other people made me really recognize my strengths. I think when I was alone, you know, being an introvert and not feeling comfortable building relationships with people, I... I couldn't really tell like how I was doing compared to other people. And like, I, I recognize that other people have strengths that I don't, but at the same time that I have strengths that they don't. So during university and during my master's, um, I also felt like I was learning a lot. So because I recognized that I was learning a lot because university was like, 
it's, it's challenging for everybody, right? It's supposed to be a challenge so they can push you to improve. I felt like I was learning a lot and improving in a lot of different areas. And that really improved my self-esteem because I knew, I knew I was improving. So, um, but of course I still like struggle with it a little bit. Um, like imposter syndrome, that is, that is definitely a very real thing and it, right. it comes and it goes, but yeah. But yeah. I think that's better. a pretty common thing for folks to experience. Um, but yeah, it sounds like that uh, during that um, kind of undergrad to master's trajectory, you, you felt that growth. So that kind of snowballed and, and self-reinforced itself. And uh, well, I guess if you always thought that you would go into to SLP, that um, the master's would have been an automatic thing. Like, do you have to take a master's to, to get your SLP or okay? Yeah, you uh, have to take fun. a master's to get into SLP. Um, and so since grade 12, once I knew I wanted to get into SLP, well, I took the first year like prerequisites and then I knew just to, just to make sure, right. Sure, that I was yeah. interested in the subject matter. Um, then I knew for sure I was going into SLP. So actually the, the undergrad and then the, the masters was basically automatic. Okay. I have to do this anyway. I'm just going to go do it. Right? right. And that wasn't a problem for me. What became a problem was, was afterwards, but I don't know if you want me to talk about that right now. <laughs> Yeah, sure. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. So because like school life has been so, so structured for me, it's just, you know what you have to do. You just go do it. Right. Right. But once you go into the adult world, you know, you're not in school anymore, then you, you can make a path for yourself. And I've never had to make a path for myself. Okay. I went to high school. My mom told me what to do for my job. I did my schooling to go to do that job. And then I got my first job. And then what? Like, do I stick with this job forever or do I make my own path? And this is one thing I wish I knew earlier, actually, that I am capable of making my own path. And even for speech language pathologists where, you know, the, the regular thing is to either work in schools with children or work in hospitals with like stroke patient or brain injury patients, then like, like that's all you can do, but there, there's a lot more that you can do. And that's why I started Speak Fluent because I realized that with the help of other people, of course, Michael included, <laughs> I can make my own path. And there is a lot of stuff that you can do and a lot of interesting things you can do. And you can build a lot of relationships with people and figure out what, what the world needs. I think that's very interesting to be able to build your own path like that. Cool. Yeah, if, if you're open to it, I'd love to dive into a little bit more about that decision-making process. So, so you finish your master's, right? Mm -hmm. And then and then you had a job waiting for you or you... you, you Not waiting for me because okay. I um, I took like a one-month trip to, to Europe to okay. just kind of travel a little bit. <laughs> my first time outside of Taiwan, my origin of birth and, and uh, North America. That's my okay. first time anywhere else. Uh, took a one-month trip with some of my classmates and friends and just kind of explored. So I didn't have a job waiting for me. Um, okay. I did look, but then it was just kind of a weird time. I would have to be doing interviews during my travels and, right. or like while I was in Alberta, which I'm, I wasn't going to stay there anyway. Right. Um, so I didn't have a job waiting for me, but I got one just a couple months after, after I moved to Toronto yeah. and um, it was the, the school job that I'm still staying with currently actually. Yeah. Um, so this job is basically you're a contractor working in the schools, working with kids with speech sound disor disorders, stuttering and voice disorders. Um, so it's a very uh, specific subset of what the what SLPs can work with. Mm -hmm. 
Mm -hmm. um, but it's just the way the school system is structured here. And I, I like the job, but it is very like, very specific, I guess. And there isn't that much you can do with it. Okay. It's just, you're given this job, you work with kids, you see them like once every week or two, and that's it. Like that's, that's all you can do. You can't explore other, um, other disorders, I guess. Um, right. SLPs can work with a lot of things, like I mentioned, but yeah. with this job, you can only work with these three things. And like, I don't want to work with kids for the rest of my life. I love kids. They're fun to work with sometimes, but <laughs> I also really like the motivation that adults have. So I wanted to seek out that opportunity. I actually had another part-time job at the same time um, where I worked at a private clinic and that one I hoped to get some experience working with adults, like with accent modification. Um, but there, there wasn't a lot of opportunity because I think a lot of people don't know about this. And so like for most SLPs, they don't have like a lot of opportunity to work with adults. Gotcha. Yeah. yeah, so walk us through a little bit about the kind of the decision-making process. So you have a job, you have two jobs, like a couple of jobs that you're kind of um, doing together and you have to say, well, I, I want to do something more. And then is that how like Speak, Speak Fluent came about or like what was the conversation in order to do that? I, I think I'll just start my own company. Is, is that just as easy as that? <laughs> well, I, I must <laughs> say truthfully, Michael is the entrepreneur of our relationship. Um, so he, he um, likes starting up companies. So he has a lot of startups that he, he worked on over the past few years. And he hears a lot about my work and what I do and what SLPs can do. So he started working on this idea like a few years ago and just kind of thinking about like building that, that niche, I guess. What do, what do people need and what do people not know about? So it's going to be kind of some work on our part, trying to make sure that people know that this service exists, um, which is why we built this company, right? Mm -hmm. Because we know that a lot of people don't know that this service exists even for children, right? right? If you've never heard of an SLP before, then you would not know that SLPs exist. It's, it's a growing profession, I would say. There are more programs being uh, made available in Canada and there are more people going into it. But I would say if, you, if you're not a teacher or like not someone or not on a healthcare like professional team, then you wouldn't know that SLPs exist. Right. So we wanted to make sure that people know that this service exists for both children and for adults, but more specifically adults, because adults, especially, especially immigrants, they don't know that this service exists and is available to them. So Michael was the one that pushed to um, start this company. Um, I, I definitely am the kind of person that needs that kind of push. Like I said, <laughs> like my self-esteem is not great. And when you go through schooling to be an SLP, they don't teach you about starting your own private practice. Of course not, yeah. They, they teach you to be like, just a, yeah, exactly, exactly. Go work in a hospital, go work yeah. in a school. How is it, you need to do a lot of your own research into starting your own company as an SLP. And so like I, I was in these Facebook groups to start your own company for a while and I would keep reading and reading like, when can I start? Like, how do I start? And I... Just like, I guess those kind of comments influenced me slowly to start accepting Michael's idea. And 
and think like, okay, maybe I can do it. Like maybe, maybe like I'm just a few years out of ma my master's, but um, a lot of people do start their private practices earlier on because you can learn as you grow, I guess, and grow as you learn. Sure. So, yeah. So those kind of the Facebook groups and, and Michael pushing me was a major, major part of it. Um, and me feeling like I knew, I really knew what I was doing because I've had these interests for a while and I did do this kind of work a little bit on the side, um, but doing it full time was something that I was a little bit scared of. But then as I worked with more and more people who really liked my service, I just felt more and more confident to, to start this kind of thing. That's great. So it sounds like that a lot of the self-esteem is, is first of all, starting with believing in yourself or having someone believe in you first. Yeah. And, and then uh, as you grow and you get better and you say, you know what, I reflect back and, and I've grown, I've got better. I'm, I'm now much more capable than I was before. And that uh, helps kind of reinforce that self-esteem. So that, that's great guidance and advice. What are some other pieces of, of swipe that you might give to uh, young Angela or the young Angelas out there who might be considering um, SLP. So now that they know of it, what are some things that they might kind of take away to say, hey, how can they explore? What should they do? Are there areas that they should look at first? Um, or what are some other just general swipe for yourself that, that growing up as that, I don't know, shy, low self-esteem kid, if you could slip yourself a note or something like that, or uh, have a two minute recording or a conversation with yourself, what would you tell yourself? I think there's, I think with the self-esteem thing, I think there's no way just a few words from somebody could improve my self-esteem. Okay. I think I would just have to go through the process that I did um, in order to build up my self-esteem in a more like organic way, I would okay. say. But there wasn't um, something that you could help trigger it uh, sooner or faster, like just uh, some, some guidance and say, hey, you should, well, maybe have started at KFC Younger or something, or uh, I'm just, just curious. I'm not sure if, if there's an answer for that, but just curious. Well, one, I remember this one event really clearly that made me feel like I could never be good enough to do anything okay. was in, I think, elementary school or high school. I think high school. They brought in a performer, um, okay. a pianist to play the piano for us. That child was like, I don't know, five years old or something. He was very young and he played so well. And that was when I was like, I, I haven't even, I don't know anything about music I'll never be able to get to that point, even though I kind of wanted to learn how to play piano. But um, I should I probably should have had someone tell me, like, it's never too late to start. And then I probably would have liked some kind of role model that started something late, but still achieved like something great with their with their skill. So <laughs> but that that child reform <laughs> really, really hurt my self-esteem. The funny thing that comes to mind is that uh, Harlan Sanders, who's the founder of KFC, actually mm -hmm. started his business when he was like 60 something. <laughs> oh. <laughs> so KFC wasn't started until he was kind of in his later years. So uh, maybe that's, that's part of the inspiration if you dug into the history of it. He should have. <laughs> um, started much later and, and a lot of people thought he was going to be a failure and stuff. He was living, living out of his car and stuff like that. Um, but now like, well, um, your self-esteem is, is owed a little bit to in part to KFC or at least that great manager. Um, so, so maybe it's, it's not so much the brand, but it's, it's those people that are willing to take a chance 
say, you know what, I see something in you and uh, I know you can do it. So, so maybe it's uh, worthwhile finding that, that previous manager and then saying thanks to <laughs> whatever he, he saw and, and, and giving you that, uh, that start. So I think that that's great. So uh, never too late to start is, is what I'm hearing. And any other kind of words of wisdom for, for younger Angela? Um, one thing that I wish I did before I got into SLP and I and I've had a few students reach out to me to do this, is I wish I could have gone to existing SLPs, a variety of SLPs, to ask them about their work and what they love and what they hate, what they dislike, what they wish they could change when they thought it was hard. Um, I didn't do any of that. I just kind of shadowed some SLPs, but I never asked them questions. I just saw them do the work. Um, was kind of like participated in some of the work a little bit to, to see what it was like. But I never asked them questions about the other stuff that I don't see, the stuff that I'm dealing with right now, right? Sure. What's it like building your own private practice? What is it, what is, what is the work that you find really hard? Like, is it hard building relationships with other professionals because they, they don't see your work as that valuable? I think advocacy is still kind of an ongoing effort with the speech language pathology uh, field. Um, and I think that I wish I, I wish I knew just to, just to prepare myself, you know, for what I would have to deal with. So I think for any student out there or anyone looking to switch careers to ask questions for people who are already in that field, because I think you'll gain a lot of valuable insight into those, those things that you don't see. Yeah. And I totally echo that because I'm always amazed for someone who wants to become whatever, an, an SLP, a doctor, lawyer, accountant, engineer. And then when you ask, well, have you ever talked to an accountant? It's like, what? What do you mean? Am I supposed to? <laughs> well, it's probably a good idea that whatever you decide to get into, you probably have met a couple. And I think those are great questions to ask. Like, what do you love about your job? What's hard? Uh, how did you overcome it? How, those challenges, is, if they can help accelerate your career path or help you at least know what you're up against. And maybe uh, a few tips or tricks on how to get to it. And I think uh, that would be useful guidance. Um, yeah. Are there other things that, that, that you would share with, with the younger self? Um, that's Those two are the major things that I can think of. Um, but I think another, oh, I think another one might be just to reflect a lot. Mm-hmm. Now, I, I only got into SLP once I started reflecting more of my experiences. So I think when someone chooses their career, I think they should reflect a lot on what matters to them. And actually, there's this great book that I read. What was it called? Uh, something about the seven habits of really effective people. Highly effective people. Yeah. Highly effective people. Yeah. I thought that was a really good one. Um, and self-reflection was a major part of that book. And that's something that I felt like I didn't do a lot when I was younger. Mm-hmm. Um, but that would have helped me a lot in getting to where I am now. Mm-hmm. You know, the so stuff about the, the self-esteem, stuff about starting your private practice. Does this make sense for me? Um, do I really want to do this? Um, things like that. So I know it sounds very general, but reflecting on like what values to them and where they want to be and what kind of, I guess, work-life balance they want. So that reflection for you was, was uh, like a little notebook, a little journal that uh, you did on like a regular basis or was this like a one-time thing? So if we could make it like practical tactical for someone to do this weekend or something like, is there, uh, so you, you had a bunch of questions um, 
did it come kind of in an in inspiration in one weekend or is it like no it took me weeks months years and i'm still going through it <laughs> or, or <laughs> definitely took me years um and i'm still going through it a little bit for sure i think that it i think for depending on kind of where you're at it would be helpful to have some kind of notebook to have it written down. Okay. Actually, in that book, it, it recommends for me to write this kind of stuff down, yeah. like, you know, <laughs> write down, like, what, what are your values, your core yep. values? And I never really did, but I would constantly think about it. Maybe if I wrote it down, I'd be more efficient in this process. But uh, yeah, I well, would recommend trying out a few different ways, you know, talking with people, reflect and talk with people about what your core values are get them to to tell you what they think about you you know like what kind of person am I just kind of ask them and then maybe you'll get a better sense of what kind of person you are um write down like okay what really matters to me what are things that I could change but what is one thing that I cannot change um and I would recommend writing this down because then you have it like kind of more concretely um something that I never did and it feels weird to recommend something that I never did but I feel like it, it would have helped me. <laughs> it sounds like the universe is saying, hey, after I hang up here, then we should probably get a piece of paper and do that. Right? Yeah, maybe, maybe. I've been told that a lot. Just yeah. write it down. <laughs> and uh, yeah, definitely echo the reflection part. I think one, one recommendation that I have for folks is, even if you're young, is to start thinking about uh, what would be on your retirement memo. Right? And a lot of people are like, what? I'm like 18, I'm 22 and stuff like that. I don't even know what I'm going to do next year, let alone when I'm 65. But uh, if you allow yourself to imagine a little bit, to dream, to say, okay, what would an ideal career, an ideal life, an ideal job look like to you? And if the answer is, I have no idea, well, that's where you go and talk to someone who is in a job that you want and have some conversation. What it's like? What do you want to do? And then hopefully that points you to two more people and points you to another person and then four more people and so on. And then uh, you realize whether it is for you or you realize, whoa, that doesn't sound like what I wanted to do at all. <laughs> Probably good to do that before you spend four years, eight years or however many years in school to get all that. So, uh, yeah, I've been engaging in those kind of exercises, asking myself, okay, what do I want to do if if I had a lot of money, what would I want to do with my life, right? Because then it'll, it'll show you kind of what matters to you. Do you just want to like stay at home and just play video games all day? Is that what I want to do? Probably not. And so I just, I, I do like talk about these things with my partner, Michael as well. And I talk about these with my friends as much as I can to get their perspective. And then if I hear their answers, I can think to myself, oh, is that something I would want to do? So getting a lot of different opinions. I love hearing different people's perspectives on things. And I think it, it helps shape my own reflection as well. Cool. We're actually having a session tonight called the Purpose Confidence Club, which people just kind of reflect and share, bounce off ideas of, of what they feel their purpose is and, and ask, like, what, uh, what, is, what do people think? So uh, well, that's awesome. your session, you'll, you'll, you'll join us and, and uh, think about that. But, uh, yeah, yeah, for sure. Let me know. So, so what does the, the future hold for you? So uh, Speak Fluent is growing. And, and if someone out there is kind of thinking about, well, that sounds interesting, but I don't know if that's for me. Like what, uh, what would they have to look at? Like if you're a person who is like this, reach out. If you're a person who is like this, reach out. Like what are some things that mm -hmm. they can uh, kind of reflect on themselves to say, okay, yeah, I definitely should reach out to an SLP. I think a company's mission statement as kind of, it feels kind of cheesy, but a company's mission statement is... I think would help people 
uh, get to know like the company or like the the, the field and see if that's something that they want to do. Okay. So um, one, one statement that really resonates with a lot of my clients is that, do you want people to pay attention to what you're saying, not how you're saying it? And um, I talk about, like, I'll talk about my clients as well, how they're super motivated and they're really, um, they never knew this service existed. Like, I would probably ask someone who wants to get into SLP is, do you want to make this difference for people? Do you want people to be able to communicate effectively and clearly to be able to engage in all aspects of their life successfully, whether that's social relationships or in their career? Do you want to make that difference for people? So I, I think that um, being able to ask these kind of questions should help someone who's looking into getting into this field. Um, and I try to make this as clear as possible on our website as well, like mm -hmm. having our like that kind of statement for both our clients and for future SLPs. So when um, SLPs apply or they want to talk to someone, they can like it's part of the interview process. Right. It's like, what, what kind of work do you do? Like what 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 do you do? Um, so I think that that statement is just I, helpful for people. <laughs> sure. Yeah. So, so what, what I heard from that is if you are looking to get um, ahead in your career and you feel that how you say it uh, or, or your impression of how you say it is uh, restricting you a little bit more uh, so that people can't focus on what you say. Um, and oftentimes that's a bit about that, that confidence, that self-esteem where other people might think you're fine, but it's, it's in your head. <laughs> you're, you definitely want to improve that. Then uh, an SOP could be something that uh, you consider. Um, yeah, definitely. Actually, sometimes my clients come to me because of that as well. They, they're not sure if it's in their head or not. And mm -hmm. they, they have this feeling that their speech is a bit different, but they, they don't know what. So I help them figure out what it is that is different. So oftentimes when someone comes from a different country, they, they speak a different language, right, as their first language. And their first language has a whole like sound system and word structure that is completely different from English. And right. those rules are kind of applied to how they speak English, but they don't know like what exactly they're doing. So even by me telling them, okay, this is, this is what's happening with your speech, then they're able to be aware and then they can be confident knowing like, oh, I make this difference, but that's okay. Or I make this difference and it changes the whole meaning of the word. So I need to change right. that. But now I know how to change it. So it definitely improves their confidence in that way. And what the service does is it helps, it helps them be aware of all of these things and it helps them um, be able to make these differences so they can be confident for the rest of their life. Once you learn something, it's not going to go away, right? Sure. And once you uh, break, like, break a habit of saying something a certain way and you start saying it another way, that's also forever. So really, like, this service is for someone who's looking to change their speech for the better forever. And it's, <laughs> I, think that's, I think that's pretty valuable. Sounds good. So yeah, definitely uh, check out Angela and speak fluent. Um, so where, where can folks uh, connect with you or where should they reach out? Uh, we'll put kind of links uh, in the show notes for um, folks to connect. Um, yeah, for sure. So we have a website um, and it's speakfluent.ca, uh, just the word speakfluent.ca. And um, you can also email us at info at speakfluent.ca, but the website's the best uh, way to reach us because you can also book a free consultation to speak with us, figure out if the service is right for you um, and talk about your, your needs and your goals. Cool. 
And, and what's uh, what are the aspirations for the future? So it's, it's growing, speak fluent. Are there other things, other projects? Are you going to pick up the piano now that you know it's not too late? <laughs> I'm still scared. Well, it requires a lot of practice. I know that. Now, the reason for me not picking up piano now is like a whole different reason. I just don't have enough time in the day for that anymore. Sure. Um, and but I'll, I, I definitely um, will think about going to that thing that you mentioned for what was it? The club. Club, yeah. Yes, that one. I'll think about that one. Um, aspirations for the future, though. Um, we want to grow Speak Fluent. So it's big and the service is accessible to people like all over Canada, at least. Mm -hmm. We're thinking about bringing workshops to businesses because we want businesses to feel confident um, knowing that they have the best people. But sometimes the best people come from different parts of the world or they have different accents um, and they have different speaking ability, but their knowledge and their skill in other areas might be something that they're looking for, but their communication skills aren't quite where they want it to be. So we want to eventually bring maybe like workshops, um, work with businesses, um, bigger companies um, to, to bring that service there. Um, we might also want to work on... Um, this tech aspect actually. So Michael's a very techy guy and I love tech. I think that um, technology can improve our process, like all kinds of processes and even for speech as well. If we can get some kind of like automatic speech analyzer for like some, some metrics, like if you say ums and uhs a lot during your presentations, maybe that's something that we would wanna measure mm -hmm. and see if training can reduce that. And if you pause a lot during your presentations, then maybe we can measure that too. I don't know. That's just the beginning stages, but that's something that we might want to look into later on. Yeah, I think that would be definitely something that, that's in the realm of possibility. And yeah, looking forward to all those. So uh, thanks, uh, Angela, for sharing all the uh, wisdom and insights and, and your experience. And uh, thanks for joining us on, on, on the podcast. Thank you for having me. Cool. Take care. Thanks for joining us on the Swike Stuff I Wish I Knew Earlier, the podcast. If you like the podcast, please subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you found this podcast. And if you can give us a review, that would be very appreciated. Feel free to contact me on LinkedIn at Luki Danu, L-U-K-I-D-A-N-U, and the same on most social media platforms. And I look forward to hearing from you. Thanks. Bye.